Hi, and welcome back to Season 3 of My Words, Our Journey, What If. My name is Monty. Today, we have Episode 5. Let's begin with Chapter 10. Ben Wilson could not get himself past the guilt he was feeling. It had been 22 days since he had been approached about the events that would take place this exact day. 22 days for Ben to consider his options, examine the alternatives, cry, reevaluate his situation, pray for his wife, and realize over and over again he had no choice. Today, he would allow two men to enter his place of work, steal an undetermined amount of money, and leave without altercation. In his mind, he had come to grips with what he would have to do and what would happen. It was the only real chance he had of seeing his wife alive again, and he had been reassured that no one would be hurt. It all started when Ben left the bank for lunch one day. While walking down the street, heading towards Frank's Deli for his favorite lunch, a cooked bologna sandwich, and Frank's potato salad, he suddenly realized there was a man on each side of him, and they were matching him step for step. Keep walking until you get closer to the corner, then turn left down the alley. It's your wife and your future together that we want to talk to you about, you heard the man on the right say. Ben was just about to stop and protest when the man on his left opened his jacket, just enough for him to see a gun. He was still in pretty good shape for a man of his age. But if he was being honest, if he ever was able to handle two men at once, it had long passed. Not to mention the presence of at least one gun. Ben was a reasonably smart man. He could run and hope to cause enough of a commotion that two men would give up the chase. Or he could go down the alley and hope this was not some kind of a trap. If there was even a chance he could learn about what happened to Mary, he would have to walk that way, wouldn't he? He couldn't turn the other way. He had to know. He was sure the men could sense his fear. Ben had never been one to hide his emotions. Mary had always told him that. Listen closely, because this is your only chance to save your wife and reunite your family, the man with the gun began. Two men will enter your bank. Both will be wearing Boston Red Sox hats. One will approach the teller, while the other will cover the door. You will not intervene in any way with what takes place. If the two men and the money do not make it safely out of the bank, you and your children will never see your wife again. Handing Ben a piece of folded paper, the men began to walk away. Ben tried to reach for one of the men's arms. He had questions. The second man, who to this point had just stood by, quickly stepped in front of Ben, stopping him in his tracks. If you love your wife, read the note and be at work when the two men arrive. Make sure they don't have any trouble getting out and then wait to hear from your wife. It's that simple. He had patted Ben on the shoulder with a look that scared him through to the bone. Frozen, not able to comprehend what had just happened, he watched the two strangers walk away. Ben placed a note in his shirt pocket. He folded his hands. They were shaking. And on weak knees, he headed up the alley and back to his station at the bank. He never made it to the deli that day. Instead, he forced himself back to the bank. And to this day, he's still not sure how he made it on the legs that were barely willing to move. The thought of his wife in the hands of these two evil men had done damage to Ben's mind. Now he knew why his precious Mary had been taken from him and it did not help to know the truth. It did not help him cope one bit. Once the shock began to wear off, he took the note from his pocket. With his hands, it would not stop shaking. It was odd. Ben actually still was greeting patrons of the bank as he struggled with his ordeal at hand. It was just natural for him. The note had not given any clues to Mary's whereabouts. It only reemphasized what he already knew about the two men in the bank. 
The only added information was the date and time of the robbery, and it ended with telling him his lovely wife was doing fine and would continue to do so if he just did his small part. Chapter 11 Stopping in his tracks, Mitch turned in a full 360. He could not even for a second think he was in the wrong spot. Even if it were not for the straight shot out of the woods, Mitch would still know he was standing in the exact spot where his car should have been. The problem was that it wasn't. Mitch picked up the rope Aaron had dropped when untying the canoe and squeezed it in his hand. With mind racing and head spinning, he took a minute to think about what was happening. What were his options at this point? Running as fast as his nervous legs and body would take him, Mitch ran back through the woods, screaming for Aaron as he moved. At this point, he did not care who heard him tromping through and screaming, as long as he could catch up with Aaron. The thought of hiking through the woods and trying to find his way out into the motel was not something he even wanted to consider. He had to catch Aaron before he got too far ahead. This plan was over. They would both walk back to the main road and use the cell phone to call 911, but only to report a stolen vehicle. Mitch could not have guessed how much time had passed, only that it seemed to be a long time before he caught up with Aaron. It had been long enough for Mitch to decide he was going to quit smoking altogether. The running had almost killed him. It was a tie between his lungs and his legs as to which hurt the worst. In the end, it may have been his pride. He used to be able to take such good care of himself. He was never the superstar at any sports he played, but if he wasn't the first one picked, he was usually the second. As he was bent over with hands on his knees, he fought to catch his breath. Aaron told him he had heard the screaming and turned around. Mitch could tell this new twist had hit his friend hard. Aaron sat on a log and held his head in his hands for at least two full minutes. The silence was almost too much for Mitch to handle. He wanted to push his friend to get up and get moving. He just hadn't found the right words yet. As if reading his mind, Aaron asked Mitch if they could continue on the walk towards the motel. This would give him time to clear his head and organize his thoughts. In his head, Mitch yelled, No! Which is where he kept it. It may never have felt so sorry for anyone in his life. Dejected was just the tip of the iceberg. If it was possible, he was more worried about Aaron now than before. Neither friend considered the canoe as they left it behind. It was a long walk through the dense woods to reach the road that led to the restaurant and adjacent motel. No words were spoken. Mitch was secretly relieved he would not have to tell his accident story to the police, and Aaron was thinking of how his luck could not get any worse. Needing to regroup before making the call, the two decided to sit in the restaurant and have coffee and cigarettes. Mitch had decided he'd quit tomorrow. Aaron knew Mitch was right. They would have to bail on the original plan, but he was struggling to find a way to continue on. He realized he may not get another chance. There were many moments of silence, and during one such moment, Mitch noticed a television in the corner. He caught the beginning of a breaking news story. He could not hear the news person clearly and was not sure why they were showing a picture of a bank that was only located two blocks from his and Aaron's office. What Mitch saw on the screen next made his heart stop momentarily. There was a picture of a car similar to his, with his license plate number flashing across the screen. When Mitch could finally move, he hurried towards the set. The sudden movement must have snapped Aaron out of his thoughts because he followed. When Mitch found the volume on the set, this is what the two men heard. To repeat our lead story, there is currently underway a statewide manhunt for two men, identified as Mitch Lipton and Aaron Walker. The two men are wanted in connection with a bank robbery just a few hours ago. 
Mr. Lipton's car fled the scene only seconds after a security guard was fatally shot inside the bank. The suspects fled with an undetermined amount of cash. At this time, those are the only details available. Officials ask if you have any information regarding today's events, please call 1-276-778-9909. Officials also want to warn folks, these men are considered armed and dangerous. A news anchor finished by promising more details within the hour. Aaron moved, as if nothing was wrong, walked over to their table, picked up a pack of smokes, and pulled a tent out of his pocket, placing it on the table. He never looked back as he left the restaurant. Mitch followed at a distance. Mitch could see he had stopped a short distance ahead and was pulling something out of the duffel bag he was carrying. When Aaron turned to his pal, he was wearing a long pullover and baseball cap he pulled down just a little too much. Glad I was a Boy Scout, Aaron said without smiling. He handed the bag to Mitch and said he would go get them a room. Staying out of plain sight was probably a good idea, he suggested as he headed off. Mitch walked around outside, stood in the shadows, knelt down, and unzipped the duffel bag. When Aaron returned with the room key, Mitch was wearing an old army jacket and dirty green John Deere cap. Hours, the news reports did not clear anything up for them. But you could have heard a pin drop in that small hotel room. The pair found three channels, which seemed to be doing the news about every half hour. Mitch could not have told anyone what was on any of the stations other than the news. The only thing they knew for sure, they were accused of murder and a bank robbery. A witness identified Mitch's car, and a witness inside the bank had heard one of the robbers use the name Aaron. Someone had done them in good. But who and why? This was going to be a long night. Chapter 12 Several hours before the bank robbery and the realization Mitch and Aaron's plans would be altered, Sitting alone with the note, a glass of bourbon and coke, and his thoughts, it was two in the morning. Ben had found himself sitting in the same position each of the last several days and nights. Deep down, he knew from the moment he had heard the instructions the first time. He knew he would do anything the men asked for a chance to save Mary. Today was the date that had been typed on the note. It was the day Ben was to stand back and watch two men. He was fairly confident it would be the same two from a week ago. Enter his place of employment, the bank which had entrusted it with his safety five days a week from nine to five. He reflected on the day he'd gone in to apply. It must have been his eighth or ninth stop of the day. The look was always the same. It was the, you're too old to be looking for career choices, aren't you? Look. Walking into the bank that day had been one of the hardest things he had ever done in his long life. One could only take so many rejections in one day, but he was on a mission for the worthiest of causes. Ben had just recently retired. After 32 years, he was ready to slow down and enjoy his wife and family, a family that included five beautiful grandchildren. That is why he was out pounding the streets this particular day. Only four days after his retirement party, Ben and Mary's oldest daughter came to them with devastating news. Their second oldest granddaughter had been diagnosed with a rare type of cancer. The treatments were many, and none of them were cheap. Even with insurance, their daughter's family was going to go through a financial downward spiral. After thinking about nothing else for several days and reviewing few options, Ben realized the only way he'd be able to help was to go back to work. His retirement and their savings would be more than enough for the two of them to live on comfortably, but unfortunately, running the numbers forwards and backwards 
they just could not stretch it enough to be able to help with the bills that would be coming in soon. That is where the first National Bank of Marion had given his family a chance to focus on Maggie and not worry so much about bills. From the first person he met to the last person he interviewed with, not once did they make him feel old or unwelcome. And in the end, they offered him a position that both earned him a decent paycheck each week that he signed over to his daughter, but also he was doing a job that he could be proud of. There had been many want ads he had responded to that if given the position, he felt he wouldn't be able to tell people what he was doing out of sheer embarrassment. That was not the case now. Ben was helping to protect one of the community's vital businesses. From his first day, the staff could see how Ben interacted with each and every customer. It had been mentioned that customers who usually used the drive-thru had begun to come in to see Ben. The bank was literally helping to save his family. If possible, he would try to walk the fine line between the thieves and his bank family. It hurt his heart to think about failing the bank and its people. He could only hope they would understand that he had no choice. He had spent one night thinking about each person he knew at the bank, trying to figure out what they would do if they were in his shoes. Out of the 20-plus employees, he had only suggested in his own mind that maybe one would do what he was doing. Mark Whitman, Junior Vice President, was the one person who Ben could not with certainty know what he would do in his position. He had heard stories about the young go-getter from several sources. He had always been very nice to Ben, calling him Mr. Wilson, and more than once holding the door for him at the bank. Maybe he would have an opportunity to ask him when it's all over and find out what the junior vice president would have done in his shoes. It was his hope that within the next day or two, he'd be able to sit down with his family, co-workers, and of course Mary, and discuss what had happened, and he would try to make them understand he did not have an option. 13. Back to the present. Aaron and Mitch had discussed whom they might be able to call to straighten this whole thing out. They had come up with the no one. Each friend had watched enough cable to know, with a bank robbery and a murder over their heads, there was a good chance anyone they were remotely connected to would either be under surveillance or something like that. Mitch remembered watching FBI Files, or one of those similar shows, wondering what it would be like to be on the run. He always thought the stress of being caught, never knowing when it might happen, would be the worst. But for him, now it was the loneliness. The fact that he could not contact his family, it was tearing him apart. Mitch did not want for a second for people to think that he had anything to do with an awful crime like this. But after watching all the news coverage, he was almost convinced he had been involved. His thoughts had taken over, and Mitch did not realize that Aaron had started putting on his shoes. The sound aired made digging through his belongings, looking for something snapped Mitch back to reality. Need anything? Aaron asked. Mitch could not believe that he was leaving the room, even if he was disguised from head to toe. Aaron held up an empty cigarette pack and smiled. There was one of those old-fashioned vending machines downstairs in the lobby. I need $4.50 in quarters. I'd rather not disturb the guy at the counter, Aaron stated as he moved around the room looking for his lighter. Mitch added three quarters to the pile, and Aaron was on his way. Mitch was in need of nothing more than to be awakened from this bad dream. Aaron had given him a head nod and a slight smile. Mitch could tell he was feeling guilty about getting them into this rather large mess. Time was not standing still, but Mitch could swear it was only moving at half speed. If he allowed himself, he feared he'd fall apart. This could not happen. He was not sure how Aaron was going to handle this pressure, but he did know 
they wouldn't survive without each other. Mitch had heard Aaron's return and was startled when he began to bang on the bathroom door. You need to get out of there now. We've got to go, he heard Aaron shout as he continued to pound. Opening the door, Mitch could see the fear and uncertainty in his friend's eyes. Aaron was holding a single piece of scrap paper in his trembling hand. Is this your plate number? He held the paper in front of Mitch's nose. Of course you know it is, Aaron. It's only been on the TV a minimum of 25 times tonight, Mitch replied. He had no idea where this was headed. Like a smack across his face, your car is in the parking lot. Mitch was standing outside the hotel room, staring down at his car, trying with no success to process. How could his car be here? Who could possibly have known where they were? What sort of game was he involved in? Without Mitch noticing, Aaron had walked up behind him. Whoever placed it there surely wants it to be seen, the two friends stared. Mitch knew he was right, for it was parked close to the road and directly under a light pole. What to do next? Mitch and Aaron did not have much of a clue. They were realizing their initial plan had left much to be desired. They probably would have been caught. One thing both understood, each decision they faced during this ordeal would or could have a life-changing effect. What were they to do? If they turned themselves in, who would believe them? If they stayed on the run, how could they prove their innocence? Mitch wondered how much alcohol the two had consumed while planning Aaron's plan. It was amazing how alcohol could make things look and sound better than they actually were. Maybe that is why neither actually wanted to have any interest in drinking beer at the moment. Clear heads needed to prevail. Mitch thought as he was half listening to Aaron think out loud about the pros and cons of taking the car. As he looked up, he could see Aaron was staring at him. Mitch assumed Aaron was waiting for an answer to a question that he hadn't really been listening to. I'm trying to plan our next move. Could you at least pretend like you're interested in what's happening to us? Aaron asked as he moved away to find a smoke. Do we try to move the car or not? With Liz's cigarette in hand, Aaron tried to relax just a little. After taking a deep breath, Mitch said, Neither one of us will survive another night of sitting here waiting for the cops to show up. So my vote is we make a move. If we can clean this room and make it look like we were never here, take the car and bolt. I think I know a place we can crash for a while without anyone bothering us. We need to be able to think this thing through without fear of a knock on the door. Are we on the same page? After hearing where Mitch had in mind, Aaron agreed to go along if they could make a quick stop for supplies. He also told Mitch they would not need to take the car. He had paid cash for a beater that was parked around back. Mitch knew supplies meant they were going to stock up on drinks and cigarettes. But he reminded Aaron they would definitely need food to carry them over for a while. Finding a small, out-of-the-way place would be necessary. Most of the chain stores now had video cameras, where many of the mom and pops, they couldn't afford that type of accessory. When Mitch stopped and looked at his watch, he saw that almost an hour and a half had passed since they had begun cleaning. Looking around, he felt the place looked cleaner than when they had checked in, but it had taken too long. It was time to move. Out into the night air seemed to give Aaron a little extra bounce in his step. This was a blessing from Mitch. He did not want this move to take very long. As Mitch was deciding what groceries would be best for easy prep and nutrition, he was snapped back to reality as he noticed Aaron was headed towards his parked car. Mitch had watched way too many crime shows to know this was not a good idea. Thinking fast, he stopped dead in his tracks and quickly began to scan the area. Could the car be under some kind of surveillance? Nothing seemed out of the ordinary from where Mitch stood. Unfortunately, he was aware there could be plenty of eyes set directly on his car, and he'd never know it until it was too late. He was not cut for this crap.
At the moment, he needed to decide if there was an opportunity to stop Aaron before he reached the car or just to stand back and watch. Watching in complete horror, Mitch moved into a position where he could see Aaron, but hopefully not be seen. He did not want to think about how bad this could be. It was as if this whole thing was happening in slow motion. Aaron walked over to the car and opened the back door, seeming to know exactly what he was after and where it was located. Mitch thought that if Aaron was just a little nervous, he was hiding it pretty well. Cool and collected, or just plain crazy, Mitch could not decide. A sudden flash of light caught Mitch's attention and seemed to catch Aaron as well. Mitch could see a small change in his friend's body language. Aaron was moving with purpose, and Mitch sensed this was really when Aaron realized he had just done something pretty stupid. Keep walking, and I'll meet you down the street. Once I think we're okay, Aaron heard Mitch whisper as he walked past the telephone pole, never missing a beat as he kept walking. Mitch, on the other hand, stayed put until the car that was passing slowly stopped directly behind the car Aaron had just been in. Mitch could only see two small lights in the back window of the car. One was red, the other blue. With this fact in sinking in, Mitch knew he had to move. Standing still would be bad. He could see movement inside the unmarked cruiser. Mitch turned away from the sudden activity and headed off through the shadows. He could hear sirens in the distance. Were they heading in his direction? Time to go. Getting back indoors and out of harm's way was his number one priority. A close second was seeing what Aaron thought was so important that he risked their futures, because Mitch could not think of anything. The urge to call Br Bridget had risen again. It was becoming more and more difficult to push that feeling back down. Part of him felt she could probably make some kind of sense out of this whole thing, or at least, at the very least, give them a path to follow. What if he called? Was it worth the risk? Would it be worth it just to hear her voice, maybe tell her that he loved her, and that this was just a big mistake? Could she really absorb this whole thing in just a couple minutes and be able to give him any kind of advice? What if the phone was tapped? What if they thought him calling meant she was somehow involved? Way too many what-ifs. He would just have to find Aaron and move forward with getting back out of sight. They had passed a small mom-and-pop shop on the walk to the hotel. Mitch was concentrating hard. He did not want to appear in too big of a hurry or to be walking too slow. He didn't want to draw any attention. There had never been a time in his memory when walking was such a chore. It seemed whatever eye contact was made with another pedestrian, they held their look just a little too long for his liking. This must be the next phase in whatever nightmare they were involved. Paranoia was something Mitch had never had a problem with. For the first time in quite a while, he felt himself smile, paranoia, just when he needed on top of everything else. What was he thinking? Was all Mitch could think as he watched Aaron standing in the street corner. He appeared to be smoking with a stranger across from the entrance to the all-night store. In their direction as he passed and entered the store. It's almost as if he wants people to see him, Mitch said to himself as he tried to separate two carts that seemed to be in some kind of a death hold. There was a mental list in Mitch's head of the items they would need over the next several days. Moving quickly through the aisle, he made sure not to look at anyone while trying to avoid being by cameras that may be located in the store. He just would not make a very good criminal. By the look of things, the owners did not believe in putting money back into their business, so the idea of cameras was very unlikely. But really, everything in his life right now was unlikely. Better safe than sorry, he thought. Too bad his partner didn't have the same thoughts. All of this was stressing him out. 
way too much to be concentrating on while your partner was outside making new friends. Along with everything else he had to contend with, Mitch had to keep a running total in his head. Only having $23 in his wallet would change his shopping strategy. Even in his state of mind, he was well aware he couldn't use a credit or debit card. He would have to start with the nutritious items. They would need their strength and wits about them. Canned items would be best, he decided, so his cart contained some store-branded fruits, vegetables, soups, and energy drinks, none of which were very expensive, so he decided to add a case of off-brand beer and a generic cigarettes to the cart. He wanted both of them to be even-killed as possible, and for that to happen, Aaron would need his beer and cigs. Aaron would be more focused if he had his vices to keep him calm, and Mitch would be able to think more clearly with Aaron calm as possible. Right now, a plan, a direction, a strategy, something was needed to give them purpose and hope for the future. A future without prison bars, if at all possible. It was said that beer and cigarettes would possibly help with that process. There was nothing in the pair's lives right now that wouldn't be considered sad. And that's where we'll end episode five. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and you'll join me next time for episode six, where we'll continue with What If. Thank you for listening and have a great day.